The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. to get into the word this morning, a very uh, important uh, uh, message that I want to share. You have to forgive me, I'm a bit of a mess, and uh, it's hard not to just, you know, preach to the front row here this morning for me personally, but there were things that were stirring in my heart about, you know, what it means to, to be a, a man and, and what it means to be, a, 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 in this case, you know, for this room, if we just lifted the idea of gender off of it, what it means to be an adult, a, a, a believer with responsibilities and, and duties. And, and there's so many things in the scripture that are, are rich in direction and, and confirmation of, of, of who we are and who God's made us to be, that that's really at the heart of it. So uh, obviously because I'm raising sons, just the concept of, of being men and things like that is very rich in our vocabulary and as we speak. Uh, but everything that we talk about today is going to be uh, uh, 100% across the board for everyone. I mean, if you are a believer in this room, every bit of scripture that we address here is going to be directed to you. Uh, don't get me wrong, there are, the Bible can be very gender specific about roles and things, especially when you see husbands and wives and different things like that. You'll see that God's very interested in gender. But today, if we use the word man, we're talking about mankind, and obviously uh, that's going to apply to every single person in the room. Uh, so I want to get into the word this morning. Here's a few things that we're going to find. One, you're going to find uh, who you are. I mean, who you are. I mean, for most of us in the room, we'd have a pretty good idea of this. Uh, uh, however, this is a really important uh, uh, element of the believer's life. I mean, having identity is a, a, a real important and necessary part, very foundational uh, to know who God's made you to be. Uh, a second thing that we're going to find is, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, what God has called you to, what he's called you to, who you are, what God's called you to, and then the third thing is, is uh, what God has chosen you to do, what God's chosen you to do. Now, these things aren't limited to the, I mean, the, the whole content of the message isn't limited to these three things. These are just three things that we'll we'll find as we get into the word, and and my heart was torn in a number of different directions throughout praise and worship this morning. And there are things I was writing down in my notes here, things that, that I was thinking, you know, well, that's, that's, that's important. That needs to be part of it. And other things, well, uh, you know, that's for another time. But uh, so if I seem a little scattered this morning, just know I've got a few things going on, so to speak. So I want to jump right in here, and I've shifted some stuff around. I want to start with who you are. I think that is the foundation that needs to be laid here as, as the base for where we're going with the message today, who, who you are. And I, I want to lay as that foundation uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 is going to reveal what, what a lot of believers are aware of, you know, when you consider a scripture memorization and just kind of general Bible IQ. Genesis 1, 26 is where you'll find uh, God speaking and identifying how he is making mankind. This is where he says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. In our image and after our likeness. Now, it's really interesting when you read passages of scripture like this, it, it's, 
it's always good to remember that God isn't like us, right? I mean, there are times where I'm talking with someone and something will kind of just come out and I'll think, well, man, that sounded cool. I should write that down. You know what I mean? Where you're accidentally intelligent or something like that. Now, you're too smart to be accidentally intelligent, but let me tell you something that happens to me a lot, right? I mean, these are just things that kind of happen. But when you consider, now listen, God has never said something and then thought, ooh, that sounded cool. I hope somebody wrote that down. I mean, his words are specific, and they're selected, and they're intentional, and they're absolutely perfect. So when you see things like, in our image, and after our likeness, I think it's important to note, hey, he said two things there. That's really interesting. I mean, it's not like he's just chatty or wordy or needs to fill a time slot, so let's try to stretch this out a little bit. I mean, he could have just said, let's make man in our image, and that would be the end of the passage. But the fact that he said in our image and according to or after our likeness is something that's always been intriguing to me. And I want to just share with you my thoughts on it, okay? So I'm making that very clear. These are my thoughts on this. I'm not telling you this is what the word says. I'm telling you after studying the word, this is what I believe as it concerns this thing. This, this, these two things being said, in our image and after our likeness. Well, I'm made in the image of God. I mean, in, in my, my being, in my structure, in my design, I am built according to his image. Now, my life is given now through my choices and my decisions to be like him or after his likeness, right? I mean, uh, imagine you, you have a home and you build that home according to a blueprint. Well, that home is made in the image of, of whatever it was designed to be. It was made in the image of that blueprint. And then, you know, in my case, you, you, I would send my wife in and say, hey, will you decorate this? Well, she might decorate it after a certain style, right? I mean, people have different styles. They have different things that they prefer, different likes and dislikes. So I'm made in the image of God, and then I'm after his likeness. So in my, my core and my foundation, I've been built to be just like him. Now my life, through choices and decisions, are either going to be like he would do it, or they're going to be like someone else would do it whether that's someone else is myself or I'm chasing after some uh, worldly example. So as I come to the awareness that, that who I am is why I'm made in the image of God, I've got the, the structure, the, the, the development, the, 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 I'm built just like him, all of the, the, the foundation just like him, now my life is given to be after his likeness, then basically what I come to the awareness of is I've got what I need to be just like him. Now the question is, what choices and decisions need to be made for that to come to pass? How I conduct myself. How I respond, how I react, how I choose to perceive. And we live in a culture that is wanting to offer very specific perceptions. I mean, some are straight up propaganda. They're wanting to influence a view or a perspective, and this can be a real challenge. It's very important for us to, to stop and ask ourselves, how are we supposed to see this? What eyes are we supposed to see this through? And, and for us as believers, the only eyes that are safe to see through are the eyes of Jesus. So as, as it concerns who we are, we're made in the image of God, we're after his likeness. So then I begin to ask myself, well, well what does that mean? I mean, it's poetic and it's wonderful and it's, a, it's the kind of thing that is 
is a, a wonderful thing to preach or to speak. It, it sounds encouraging and uplifting. It applies value to my life and to the lives of anyone who hear it to, to think that, wow, I'm made in the image of God. Well, for this to actually have an effect on my life, I need to know what his image is. I, I need to know who he is. I need to know how he, he feels about things that are going on. I need to be aware of how he perceives and how he sees, or else just knowing that I'm made in his image is, is just a bit of Bible trivia. But for this to actually shape who I am and have an effect on who I am, I need to know who he is. And when you consider who he is, what you can find is through the scripture, that's kind of been a thing. Now, you'll look around the room here and you see banners on the wall. I, I, I like banners and things. I think they're very biblical. I, these banners specifically have names or identities of God. Now, what's really amazing is throughout the scripture, these aren't things that were just uh, fabricated by men. Like, hey, I've got a good idea. Wouldn't it be awesome if God healed people? Let's call him uh, Yahweh Rapha, the Lord our healer. It's not really how it worked. There are things that God did to reveal who he is, and that is where the name came from. So, so as you see these things throughout here, and these are just a few of them that exist in the scripture, what you can see is that God has been in the business of revealing himself to men from the very beginning. That's what the scripture and the history and all that we see of God and his encounters with men and mankind are bringing into existence for us a revelation of who God is for the purpose of us knowing who he is and therefore knowing who we have been called to, to be like, who we have been designed according to and whose image we are after. I want to give you a passage of scripture here. We've read through these passages before, but they're great in their application for this subject matter from the book of Exodus. Now, these are pulled from Exodus chapter 33 and Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 33 uh, continues on into 34. But when you're in Exodus chapter 33, you see Moses, who is a man, having a communication, a conversation, or an engagement with God. And as he's speaking to God, he, he says something that's really profound and, and powerful. He says this in Exodus 33, verse 13. He says, let me know your ways so that I may know you. Let me know your ways so that I may know you. It's a really amazing thing to, to consider what's being asked here. And if we just stop and give it a little time and think about it, we can see that it's, it's pretty deep. It's just not shallow. It's not just, hey, you know, tell me your story but it's, I want to know what makes you tick. I want to know your ways, your motives, the things that move you to do the things you do. I don't want to just know about the things you do. I want to know why you did it. Now, now they're in a world of, of social media and, and kind of TMI, we run into something that my wife refers to, and I don't know if she coined the term or if it just exists, but I've known the term for, for some time, and it's forced intimacy where all of a sudden it's like, hey, listen, you buddy, you know, you're asking me questions that, that, you know, really only those that are close to me have privilege to that information. But, but we kind of live in a culture where uh, those boundaries are blurred a little bit, right? You can know a lot about someone way too fast in the culture that we live in. People have become increasingly comfortable with that. 
But I think this is a really amazing thing that Moses, who's had all of these engagements with God, finally comes to a place in their, their communication and their relationship where he's comfortable asking a really important question. Hey, I've seen you do things. I've seen you do miracles. I've seen you work wonders. I've seen all of these things that you do, and, and, and it's great. And I could tell everyone about the things that you're capable of doing, but what I need to do in order to actually know who you are is I need to know why you did those things. I need to know the motive behind them. Show me your ways so that I can actually know you. Now, the reason why we're building that up is because God responds by showing Moses his ways. He doesn't just say, uh, hey, read my Facebook wall and you'll figure it out. He, he makes an appointment with Moses. He makes an appointment with him. He says, hey, you know, go to this location. I'm going to come there. I'm going to pass before you and I will, will show you. And, and he does this. You'll find that in Exodus uh, as you get to, to verse 34. So when you get to verse 34, Moses is, is there at his appointment. God makes good and keeps that appointment. He passes before him, and here's what he shows Moses. Here's what Moses sees. As the Lord passes by, this is what is, is declared. Then the Lord passed by in front of him. Now, this is Exodus 34, verse 6. Then God passed before Moses and proclaimed. Now, these are the things that are important to, to either write down or pay attention to because this is the motivation, the driving force. These are the ways, so to speak, of God as God responds to Moses' request, show me your ways that I may know you. Then God passed in front of him and the proclamation was made, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Now, some may say that we're reading between the lines a little bit here, and that's fine. I, I'm okay with that. I really don't think we are. Moses asked a specific question, Father, show me your ways so that I may know you, and this is God's response. He shows him compassion, graciousness, slow to being angry, and being filled or abundant, overflowing with loving kindness and truth. If someone were to ask me, what are the ways of God based on these passages of Scripture, Moses' question and God's response, I would say that the ways of God are compassion, graciousness, slowness to anger, and an abundance of loving kindness and truth. And I would think that if you turned that paper in, you'd get an A+. I think that's a good answer. So, so here's where we're going with this, as we establish this. I mean, if someone were to ask me, Preston, what does it mean to be made in God's image? I would say, well, my image, the design of my life, is to be a carrier and a catalyst for compassion, graciousness, to be slow to anger, and to be a carrier of love, kindness, and truth. That is the image that I'm made in. That is the design. That is the framework of who I am. That is the framework of these two 13-year-old men. That is the framework of their lives. 
They are designed to be those that are, are operating in compassion, graciousness. They're designed to be slow in anger. They're designed to be abundant in love and kindness and truth. And then now that call to not only be made in God's image, but then after his likeness, meaning the choices, the decisions, the activities, the, the basically existence of my life is given to bring that to pass. Now this is where we see God's presence, his anointing, his equipping in our lives give us the things that we need. I, I want to give you a passage of scripture here as we've established who we are, that we're made in the image of God and that we're, we're after his likeness. Uh, I want to offer this. We mentioned before that we were going to find what God called us to. I want to give you that in a, in a passage of scripture. Now this is a lengthy passage of scripture I want to read through it, and I want to encourage you to read through it in your own time. You're welcome to, to soak on it in your own time. And we're going to pull from elements of it to continue in the message today. The passage comes from 2 Peter chapter 1. From 2 Peter chapter 1. And if you just go to 2 Peter chapter 1, you can start from the very beginning, from, from verse 1. And we'll move through around verse 11. That's a lot of reading, so just bear with me. But... 2 Peter chapter 1, when you begin there, you'll see that Peter is writing and he addresses uh, believers. He's addressing you. He's addressing me. You can see in, in his beginning here who he's speaking to. He says, Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, I mean, I like to stop there. You know, pastorally, you could say that's unnecessary for the message. And, and there's kind of an unwritten rule that you try to cut off things that are unnecessary because they just add uh, uh, time, they add words, they could eventually kind of blur what your point's going to be. But I think this is an important passage to include. One, it's revealing who this is written to. This is written to uh, believers. And then also, too, to those who have received a faith the same kind as ours. I mean, that's pretty important. When I consider the same kind as ours, I have to ask, well, who's ours? Where well, ours in this case is somebody who walked with Jesus, saw the miracles Jesus performed, talked with Jesus, was present in the upper room, was baptized in the Holy Ghost. I mean, if it's in the Gospels, if it's in the book of Acts, it's ours according to this passage of Scripture. And that's pretty awesome to me. To those that have received uh, as, uh, from faith the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God, Jesus Christ. Now he goes into what he's writing. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. I mean, I, I want to pause there because, like I said, it's a lot of words. Basically, what you're seeing here is the letters being addressed to you, and now what's being stated is that through Jesus, God has called you to his own glory and excellence. Some Bibles may say by, that is only because translators wrestled with the idea that God would call you to his excellence and his glory. The real translation, the accurate translation is to, not by. Now, if someone ever read that in a meeting and they read by, I wouldn't stand up and throw a fit. But I can just tell you, for the sake of understanding what's being spoken here, it makes a big difference. 
I'm not called by his glory. I'm called to his glory. It's not just his glory that has, has called me to something else. Rather, I've been called to his glory, which actually lines up with the idea that I've been made in his image and after his likeness. So as we continue to read here, as we see that we've been called to his glory, we continue to see here around verse 4 that by uh, these things, through precious and magnificent promises, uh, he has granted to us that we might become partakers of his divine nature and escape the corruption that exists in this world through lust. Now, I know it's, it's a lot of content, and I know that sometimes when taking notes, there's that part of that's wondering, like, what part of that was important? Well, if someone were to ask me, hey, Preston, what part of what you just read was important? I, I would say, well, first of all, take your time, because there's a lot of importance there. But if we were to prioritize and we were trying to, to keep things uh, uh, short for time's sake, I would say that it's very important that you understand that God's done all of this so that you can be partakers in his nature. That's a pretty amazing thing. I mean, it, it kind of will, will rock the boat of contemporary traditional Christianity. The fact that not only have we been rescued from sins and, and had our, our, our ticket stamped for heaven, so to speak, but that God has called us to be like him. To be partakers in his nature, not just to experience his nature or to feel his presence, but to carry his presence, to participate in his nature, to be made like him and to do and function as he does and functions. Now, as we continue to read here in verse 5, we begin to see how this can happen, like what, what it is that God gives us to see these things through. For this very reason also, apply all diligence in your faith to supply moral excellence, and in moral excellence, knowledge, and in knowledge, self-control, and in self-control, perseverance, and in perseverance, godliness, and in godliness, brotherly kindness, and then in brotherly kindness, ultimately, love. It's a pretty amazing list of things. We've gone through this list in the past in a series. We, we referred to that series as the seven steps to love, and we saw them move in, in that order. We went through those things. But the, these are elements that God brings into our life, precious and magnificent promises, as it's worded, in order for us to apply them to our lives and be partakers in God's nature. I mean, if you were, were, were wanting to write those things down for your notes, you may have to visit that passage in your own time and just take your time with it. But moral excellence being the first. Knowledge being the second. Self-control being the third. Perseverance, the fourth. Godliness. Now, godliness is how it's translated. If you wanted to look it up in a concordance, it would be reverence or good worship is what godliness would mean. And then in godliness, brotherly kindness, and in brotherly kindness, then love. In verse 8, you see, if these qualities are yours and are increasing in your life, you'll always be fruitful. I mean, what a great promise. What a great promise for any believer. What a great promise for, you know, a 13-year-old man. What a great promise for, for any individual to be able to understand that God has given certain things to be applied to my life, and when these things are applied, pursued, and increasing in my life, I will never be unfruitful. It really makes me want to prioritize those elements 
to see to it that those elements are, are cultivated in my life, to see to it that they're part of my prayer life. Father, today, let me be excellent in my morality. I want to make right choices and decisions. Uh, let today be a day in which knowledge is poured out into my life through your word and through your, your spoken uh, word and our fellowship together. Let today be a day in which I operate in self-control and perseverance. Let reverence exist in my life and let brotherly kindness be present and evident through my actions and ultimately let me be a man that is filled with and overflowing with love. Let my life be given to be just like you that I'll always be fruitful. It goes on to speak about in verse 9 when these things are absent or when these things are, are deficient in an individual's lives. For the one who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from former sin. Therefore, be diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. As long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. What awesome advice. I mean, if someone were to say, uh, hey, Preston, your sons are 13 today, uh, what advice would you give them? I would want to turn to the scripture for the advice that offers promises like always succeeding, which is another way of saying never stumbling. And I would take from this passage of scripture and I would say, young men, listen to me. You'll never stumble. You'll always succeed if you can see to it that you're filled with moral excellence. If you can see to it that you are filled with the knowledge of God. If you can see to it that you're operating in self-control. If you'll be devoted to persevering and perseverance. If you'll continue in reverence and godliness. If you'll be devoted to brotherly kindness. And if ultimately you'll live out your lives motivated by receiving and offering freely love. You'll never fail. And then right about the time you get to that pinnacle in reading this, where you see God's called us to his nature, he's equipped us with these things. When these things are present, we'll never fail. It starts to feel like, wow, how does it get any better than that? You just get to verse 11. And verse 11 offers this. For in these ways is the entrance to the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and it will be abundantly supplied to you. There's your crescendo. You ever watched a fireworks show and you keep thinking it's over, you know, because it's like, wow, how do they top that? And then there it goes, man. They keep going, wow, how are they going to top that? Well, this is a pretty massive crescendo. In fact, I think this could be the pinnacle. In this way is granted entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and it will be abundantly supplied to you. Now, I got to tell you, I get distracted easily. So uh, this morning, as we're celebrating, you know, in our household, our, uh, our son's turning 13, and my, my mind is given to them, you know, no longer uh, being children, now being young men, to be raised up as men. And uh, I cannot help but see the beginning of this list, this, these attributes, these qualities that are after the likeness of God being moral excellence. Now, we've talked about moral excellence before when we did Seven Steps to Love, and I can't help but point out what moral excellence translates to. 
If you look up the word for moral excellence that, that's translated in the scripture, they're that very first element that is necessary for us to function and operate in this unfailing way, being like God in, in all that we do. If you turn to the concordance and you look for its definition, it's the most incredible thing that, that I think you can find in the scripture as far as definitions are concerned. It's defined as manliness. I mean, normally I'd say, can I get an amen, but I'm kind of like, can I get a grunt? <laughs> Manliness. I mean, between me and two 13-year-olds, I think we've got manliness covered in the house. We're just a few years away from being able to share the same underwear, right? That'll make laundry day real easy. Real easy. Real easy. Some of you are horrified that I said that. I grew up with a brother, and we were about the same size. Laundry day was real easy at our house. Manliness. What an interesting thing to consider, that being excellent in your morality, by definition, is what it means to be a man. Think about our culture. Our culture would take a, a young man out and say, hey, to be a man, you need to go bed as many women as you can. No, that's not manliness. Manliness is being excellent with your morality. Reflecting the morality of God, being faithful to your wife before you ever even know her name. Right now you can be faithful to her with the choices and the decisions you make with your eyes and your bodies. Moral excellence. Moral excellence is how... God would define manliness. And manliness would be how he would define moral excellence. They're interchangeable. What a wonderful thing. Next to moral excellence, in parentheses, is valor. You know, valor meaning courage. That tells me that to be excellent with your morality, it's going to require courage. You're going to have to be willing to let people make fun of you. Let people tell you that, that, that you're missing out. You're going to have to let people, you know, be able to, to, to verbally or metaphorically and, and maybe even literally throw rocks at you and be able to tough it out. That's what being a man is. Being manly, having valor, moral excellence. And as you continue down these definitions, it's all about virtuous and, 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 and being virtuous and being courageous if you go to the dictionary and you just look up the word morality, here's what Webster's Dictionary will define morality as. Morality, conforming to a standard of right behavior or virtue. Conforming to a standard of right behavior or virtue. I, I, I love this definition, first of all, because of its first word, conforming to, meaning you're going to have to be willing to be changed into this. You have to let your, your mind and your, your heart and your life be molded around this. That tells me that it's not just automatic. I don't just come out behaving myself. In fact, it's the opposite. Uh, I come out misbehaving and have to be shaped and molded or conformed into the righteous behavior or the one that behaves rightly. But for me to have morality in my life is for me to yield to the conforming hand of God that would bring into my life the, the standards, the decisions, the 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 uh, uh, convictions to make choices that are right and to behave in such a way as is pleasing to him. That's what it means to be a man. Moral excellence. 
Moral excellence is just the first on that list that leads us, leads us to a place of, of being fruitful. And according to the scripture, never leaves us unfruitful. I mentioned before we're going to find out uh, what God chose us to do, and, and I want to offer that. I want to give you a passage of scripture first, though, from the Gospel of John, John 15. John 15, verse 16, Jesus says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. Let me tell you, for every man, woman, and child in this room, that is a powerful statement to embrace. I mean, there's kind of a, a, a saying, you know, have you ever heard anyone say, it'll cure what ails you? To, to have this statement founded in your heart and in your mind is true will liberate the believer from all sorts of troubles with inferiority and anxiety. The idea that you didn't choose him, but he chose you. It's easy to choose him. He's non-threatening. He won't abuse you. He won't leave you. He won't forsake you. He'll forgive you. Who wouldn't choose him? But now think about him choosing you. I'm a jerk. I flip-flop. I'll say I'll do things and then I don't do them. I'm hard to love. He's easy to love. To say, oh, I chose Jesus is to say, duh, who wouldn't? But to come into the place where you realize his love for me, that he would choose me knowing all of my issues, all of my challenges, all of my inferiorities, all of my failures, all the baggage that comes with me. That's powerful. It's revealing of the measure of his forgiveness and the, the power of his love. It's revealing of the depth of his commitment. He knows getting in this means you're in for the long haul. And then there's this element of, of coming to the awareness that God has chosen you. And God has chosen you. We say something in our house, and, and oftentimes it's said with deep conviction, what you choose is what you love. What you choose is what you love. And if you even look up the word choice or choose, what you'll find is that it has to do with preference. You can't have a choice without options, right? If I open a restaurant and all I serve is a hamburger, you can't come in and think, mm, I need to decide what I want today. You're getting a burger. But the idea that you're chosen means that there are options. That those options are looked at and examined and weighed. And to make the selection is to make the selection of what is desirable. And the fact that you are chosen reveals that he desires you. Man, that will set you free from all kinds of what the Bible calls belial or worthlessness. It immediately imparts into the believer's heart and mind, you have value, you have worth, you were chosen. And then here's what you were chosen to do. John 15, 16, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you would go and be fruitful. I love the word fruitful, but you know what? Sometimes I have to sub in some other words because I just don't use that word a lot. Like I don't go to the bank and deposit a check and say, it was a fruitful day, right? I mean, so you can sub in words like successful. You can sub in words like, like prosperous, and when you do that, sometimes it just kind of helps open our mind to what's being communicated here, that, that, that Jesus has appointed us to go and be successful, to go and be productive, to go and be prosperous. 
He says, you've been selected, you've been appointed that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. It's a wonderful thing to know that you've been chosen. And it comes with, with, with wonderful promises and results. Some of those things are extremely desirable. Being productive is very desirable. If I were to say, hey, in this room, who wants to be successful? Oh, hands would fly up. Nobody just says, well, I've had a lot of success and I could kind of go for, you know, something different. We want to be successful. It's in you to be successful. Because you're made in the image of God. Now, there's also some things that come with being chosen that, that you need to be aware of. And I'm talking to a couple of 13-year-old men and then the rest of the congregation. When you are chosen by God, it comes with some things. And one of those things is the world hates you. And we read John 15, 16 and get excited. Yes, you chose me. You chose me to be successful. Let's get some success going. You just show me what to do. I'm going to go do it. And we're going to produce. Then you read verse 17, then you read verse 18, then you read verse 19. And by the time you get to verse 19, what you're going to see is Jesus saying, hey, you've been chosen out of the world, and the world doesn't like that very much. The world hates me, and they're going to hate you too. Now listen, that's kind of a downer, but let me tell you something. That needs to be spoken, it needs to be understood, it needs to be embraced, especially by young men. It's okay for the world to hate me. In fact, that means I'm doing something right. If they look at me and they think that my life is, is against the grain, hallelujah. Because I've been selected and chosen out of this world to be productive for the kingdom of God. So have you. And here's what this ultimately means. What you've been selected and chosen to do. And we're going to close with this. If you have your, your Bibles, you can turn to a passage of scripture. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to look at verses 9 and 10. What you've been chosen to do. Made in the image of God. Made after his likeness. His likeness. Is something that our choices and decisions. Lead us into. Choices and decisions that are fueled by moral excellence. And the knowledge of God. And self-control. Perseverance. And reverence. And kindness and love. So if somebody were to ask, Preston, why did God choose you? Why did he choose your sons? Why did he choose the congregation of Champions Church? What did he choose you to do individually and collectively as the body of Christ? I would offer this passage from 1 Peter chapter 2. Beginning in verse 9, it reads like this. You are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that, can you say so that? So that, here comes the reason why you're chosen. You were chosen so that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. That word excellencies is the same moral excellence that we read earlier. You were called to reveal his moral excellence. Excellence. I want to say that in another way to this 13-year-old man on the front row. Both of you guys, you were called to reveal God's manliness, moral excellence, his valor, his courage, everything that, that, that brings excellence morally into his nature. You're called to reveal it, reveal it through your choices, reveal it through your decisions, and he's equipped you 
with everything that you need. And above all else, he's equipped you with the grace to overcome times when you fall short. For us individually, for us as a body, God has called us to reveal to this world his moral excellence. Morality by definition being that, confer- that, that, that conforming that takes place in our heart and mind to the standard of what is right. A standard of righteousness in our behavior, in our attitudes, in our words, and in our actions. And I assure you that this equipping that is taking place in every single one of us in, in different ways, in different shapes, in different forms, at different speeds, this equipping is all for the same result. That we fulfill our call not only to be made in his image, but to live our lives after his likeness. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray for us as a congregation. I want to pray and ask God to stir in our hearts and in our minds a response to the word this morning. A response will be different for every person. Some might be similar and some could be the same, but individually we're all so different in our life experience. We're individually uh, uh, equipped to do things in certain ways where we have unique uh, experiences and needs. But we all have this in common, that we were made in the image of God and called after his likeness. That that call to the the moral excellence and the knowledge and the the self-control and the perseverance and the, 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 the brotherly kindness and the love and all of the things that we would be called to, the, the godliness and reverence, are ultimately what we as a body are called to function and operate in. And I want to pray this prayer, that those things be set before our eyes as desirable. You know, it's, it's real easy to just say, oh God, give us this. Oh God, give me moral excellence. Oh God, give me this, give me that, give me patience, give me uh, perseverance, give me these things. But I, I don't think that that's really how this is drawn up to operate. If we're made after his likeness, I think that it's the pursuit of our lives to chase these things, to embrace these things, to pursue these things, to intentionally go after these things. And so the prayer that I want to pray is, God, set them before our eyes and then give us an appetite for these things. Let there be a drive and a desire for us to pursue lives of moral excellence. That we wouldn't simply say, oh God, make us morally excellent. But that we would begin to see the value of moral excellence And ask God, Father, open our eyes to see moral excellence and pursue it with all that we are and all that we have, all that we say and all that we do. And I think it's there that you begin to see transformation take place. When you see different thoughts, you see different choices, you see different actions, you see different results. That's what I want to pray. So I want to pray, and, and you're welcome to be in a state of agreement or, or in a, a, a state of receiving, however you choose. But the prayer is for me, the prayer is for my sons, the prayer is for this congregation. Father, we bless your name and we thank you for your word.
We thank you for calling us. We thank you for choosing us. We thank you for the anointing and the appointment to be successful. We rejoice that you've made us in your your image. And we acknowledge that you've made us after your likeness. Let your image be set before us, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love and kindness and truth. Let all of those things be at the foundation of who we are. And let our choices and our decisions be after your likeness. Let us be equipped with all that we would need to choose wisely, to do the things that you love. Let us see the value of moral excellence. And let us be willing to lay down all that is corrupt to pursue moral excellence in our our choices and our decisions and our actions. And let the knowledge of your word be pursued and embraced in all that we are and in all that we do. Let us not be controlled by outside influences and voices, but let self-control prevail in each of us. That we might persevere in the face of challenge and hardship. Let reverence and worship flow from our lives that we would always have you seated and throned as our maker, our creator, our heavenly father. Let us value brotherly kindness and be kind to one another, opening up the door for the benefits and the manifestation of your perfect love to be the unifying bond between us. Let it spill out over onto this world and be evangelistic. Let us value the things that you value and create in us an appetite to pursue those things which are after your likeness. That we might live our lives not only made in your image, but with choices and decisions made. That we might live our lives after your likeness that we might look just like you, our perfect heavenly Father. We bless your name and we thank you and rejoice in your goodness that you've made a way for this by your Holy Spirit, by our King Jesus, and by your love and affection for us that will never fail or pass away. We lay down all anxiety as we celebrate your faithfulness and we receive your hand at work in our lives as we are conformed into the morality that you would call us to. We bless you and we thank you and rejoice in you in Jesus' mighty name. And all the saints declare it. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.